Hi, this is Professor Jim Paisley. Are you tired of the five-minute news clips presented every night by the talking heads on the national news? Would you like to know what is really going on? I have taught American and European history for the past 27 years. I find it fascinating how history truly does repeat itself. When we watch the evening news, no one seems to know anything about how current events are all tied to the past. Critical race theory, crime in our cities, federal versus state powers, the Arab-Israeli conflict? How about international relations with Russia, China, and Europe? On my shows, I give a historical perspective to what is currently happening in our world. Join me weekly to find the true history behind what is happening today. Folks, we have an interesting topic today. What happens when the U.S. military loses confidence in their leadership? Now think about this. A U.S. Marine Corps lieutenant colonel who posted a video demanding accountability from military leaders over the evacuation of Afghanistan has been relieved of his duties and will leave U.S. service. Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller posted his video to Facebook and LinkedIn the day 13 U.S. service members, 11 of them Marines, and reportedly as many as 170 Afghans, were killed in a suicide bomb attack at the airport in Kabul. I've been fighting for 17 years, said Scheller, then commander of the Advanced Infantry Training Battalion. I'm willing to throw it all away to say to my senior leaders, I demand accountability. Schiller said, I'm willing to risk my current battalion commander's seat, my retirement, my family stability, to say some of the other things that I want to say. Doing so, he said, would give him some moral high ground to demand the same honesty, integrity, and accountability from my senior leaders. Scheller criticized the commandant of the Marine Corps, David Berger, for a note sent to Marines about how they might feel about the near 20-year U.S. presence in Afghanistan. He said, I've killed people and I seek counseling, and that's fine. There's a time and a place for that. But the reason people are so upset is not because the Marines on the battlefield let someone down, People are upset because their senior leaders let them down. And now none of them are raising their hands and accepting accountability or saying, we messed this up. He went on to say, we have a Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, a former Army general, that testified to Congress in May that the Afghan National Security Force could withstand the Taliban advance. We have the Joint Chiefs of Staff. The Commandant is a member of that who's supposed to advise military policy. We also have a Marine combat commander. All of these people are supposed to advise. Scheller said he was not saying we've got to be in Afghanistan forever. He said, what I'm saying is, did any of you throw your rank on the table and say, hey, it's a bad idea to evacuate Bagram Airfield, a strategic air base, before we evacuate everyone? Did anybody do that? And when you don't think to do that, did anyone raise their hand and say, we completely messed this up? I've got battalion commander friends right now that are posting similar things and wondering if all the lives were lost, if it was in vain. Potentially all those people did die in vain. If we don't have senior leaders that own up and raise their hand and say, 
we did not do this well in the end. Without that, we just keep repeating the same mistakes. This amalgamation of the economic-slash-corporate-slash-political-slash-higher-military ranks are not holding up their end of the bargain. Well, folks, the video went viral. Less than a day later, on Friday afternoon, Scheller said on Facebook he had been relieved for cause based on a lack of trust and confidence as of 1430 today. He could not comment further until he had left the Marine Corps, he said, adding, My chain of command is doing exactly what I would do if I were in their shoes. Now, folks, this is the scariest thing I have seen since our current administration came to power. Why? Not because they fired this soldier. The real story is what the soldier was saying. He was willing to give up everything to let us know that our military has lost confidence in its leadership. He knew the consequences, but had the guts to tell us all that things must change or they will be changed for us. So why am I scared? The answer is very simple. History, folks. All we have to do is look at the past and we can see what happens when a nation's military loses confidence in the government and is used to bring about change. Let's start with Russia. Vladimir Ilyich Ulyanov, who we know as Lenin, wanted to overthrow the Russian Tsar Nicholas and started spreading the word. For this, he was arrested in 1895 exiled to Siberia in 1897, and expelled from the country in 1900. He returned to Russia in 1905 and stayed until 1907, when he was again threatened with arrest and fled the country. Now, while he was in exile, Lenin still participated in the politics and the publications of the Russian Social Democratic Party. That's right, folks. That's what I said. Social Democrats. Lenin's biggest problem with true Marxian socialism was that it called for a long, slow progression to a truly socialist society. Lenin wanted rapid change and advocated any means of bringing this change about, even if it meant resorting to terrorism. In early 1917, there were no more than 25,000 to 30,000 Bolsheviks in Russia. That's the party of Lenin. Now, fairly early in the revolution, Lenin preached that it should become a civil war among the classes and that the civil war should spread to all the countries of the world. Now, interestingly enough, Lenin, who was living in Switzerland at the time, was smuggled back into the country by the Germans during World War I to launch his revolution. Basically, the Germans thought if he can get in there and overthrow the government, then Germany won't have to fight a two-front war against the Western allies and Russia at the same time. Now, sure enough, Lenin, smuggled back into the country, immediately denounced the provisional government and promised the people two things they wanted, land and peace. Lenin's timing was perfect. People were starving to death, and the war had cost the lives of over six million Russian soldiers. Lenin's battle cry was all power to the Soviets. Now, folks, Soviets, the word Soviet means council. And what they basically were looking at is he wanted to form small town councils throughout Russia, and the power would be in the hands of these local councils. So a union of Soviets is nothing more than a union of councils, folks. 
Now, with the full backing of the Russian military, who wanted out of the war, Lenin's November 1917 revolution was accomplished easily. His men captured the Petrograd, modern-day St. Petersburg, communication, transportation, and utility installations. The leader of the provisional government simply didn't have enough support to put up any resistance. Moscow put up nearly no resistance at all. Lenin quickly learned that the international revolution he foresaw worldwide was not going to happen. With the Russian army virtually extinct since they had all joined the revolution, Russia was at the mercy of the Germans, while World War I continued. In early December, Lenin began negotiations with the Germans at the Polish town of Brest-Litovsk. Lenin knew it was folly to think that Russia could stop a German invasion at this point and went ahead with the signing of the treaty on March 3, 1918, ending Russia's participation in World War I. Russia was forced to give up territory which held 26% of the population, 27% of the cultivated soil, and 75% of their iron and steel production. This settlement was a devastating blow to the people of Russia, but they were powerless to resist. Having seized power, Rather than being elected to it, the Bolsheviks did not have the full support of the people. But once in power, the Bolshevik assembly called for elections. And Lenin said elections weren't necessary. But the assembly insisted, said we need the backing of the people. Lenin finally gave in, and in the elections, his party only got a quarter of the vote. Lenin, seeing that he had lost the election, now simply called upon the military. That's right, folks. The people that he had gotten them out of the war, they're now going to support him. And so he calls on these veterans who were loyal to him for getting them out of the war, and they ousted the assembly. Lenin now purged the country of all opposing parties and suppressed all press. The Russian people weren't about to take this lying down, and a civil war broke out between the Reds, those who backed Lenin, the military, and the Whites, who were a smorgasbord of groups opposed to Lenin. Now, Lenin now moved the, the capital of Russia from Petrograd to Moscow. It was more protected there. The Red Army now systematically wiped out the Whites. As a result, Russia was even more ruined, and then, to make matters worse, a famine set in in 1921. That same year, the soldiers and sailors of Kronstadt, the island base in the Gulf of Finland, revolted. They wanted the people freed from Lenin's control and supported by the local Soviets, the people revolted. Lenin sent in the military who gunned down the protesters. The revolution that had promised land and peace now brought civil war, famine, and a return to serfdom. How did Lenin do it? using Russia's own well-equipped World War I battle-hardened military. Still not convinced that a military who has lost faith in their leadership is a frightening thing? Here's one more example from history. In 1916, 18 socialists were expelled from the Reichstag. That's the German parliament, folks. And they were expelled for voting against the war. Now, this small group of German socialists openly opposed the war. They were called Spartacists. In September 1918, the Germans were on their last legs in World War I and were now ready to negotiate a peace settlement. 
the morale of the people fell apart. They couldn't believe that they'd lost the war. Everything they'd heard up until now said they were winning. Kaiser Wilhelm was forced to abdicate in disgrace, and the socialists, yes, you heard me right again, socialists, now proclaimed a republic. Now, the German people had just suffered a terrible defeat and were starving, but unlike the Russians, they didn't want to add to their problems by launching a socialist revolution. The socialists did make an attempt at a coup in January 1919, but it was quickly put down by the government. Two leaders of the Spartacus, Rosa Luxemburg and Karl Liebknecht, were arrested, released, and then murdered by Berlin soldiers in what amounted to a lynching. In Germany, the people looked upon the socialists, communists, as being the people to blame for betraying the nation at a time when it was hurting. As a result, the returning World War I German troops saw the socialists as stabbing the country in the back after they had just fought so hard to defend it. Once the army came home, it regrouped and formed something called the Free Corps, which then terrorized the socialists. Now, with the support of a disgruntled military, a new form of government emerged. It was called fascism. Fascists hated socialists, intellectuals, Jews, and the old aristocracy. Their sole aim was to restore order at any cost. In November 1923, a time of political and economic chaos, Hitler led an uprising. They called it a putsch, P-U-T-S-C-H, a revolt. And he led this thing in Munich against the post-war Weimar Republic, proclaiming himself chancellor of a new authoritarian regime. Unfortunately for Hitler, he did not yet have the military support he needed, and the revolt collapsed. As leader of the plot, Hitler was sentenced to five years imprisonment and spent the eight months he actually served dictating his autobiography, Mein Kampf, which simply means my struggle. Following the war, Germany was forced to pay reparations. They had to pay for all the damage that they had done. They spent all their money on the war, so they were broke. So what did they do? They printed money. Sound familiar, folks? As a result, inflation ran rampant throughout Germany. 10,000 marks, or $2,500 in 1922, by the end of 23, were worth one millionth of a penny. I'll say that again. If you had $2,500 in 1922, in 1923, it was worth one millionth of a penny. Needless to say, life savings were completely wiped out. A 100 billion mark note, which would have bought the whole Rhineland the year before, was now barely enough to buy a loaf of bread. This is the environment into which Hitler began his rise to power. Needless to say, the German people were not happy with their government. In 1925, Field Marshal Paul von Hindenburg was elected as president, where he would remain in power for the next nine years. Now, he ran for the presidency again in 1932 as the only one that they saw who could defeat the National Socialist Party, the Nazis, and their candidate was Adolf Hitler. The new party grew slowly, and principally in Bavaria. Convinced of the necessity of violence to achieve its ends, the party soon organized the Stormtroops, or the SA, to defend its meetings, to disrupt meetings of liberal Democrats, Socialists, Communists, and Trade Unionists, and to persecute Jews, especially Jewish merchants. In 1921, 
Hitler was elected unlimited chairman of the party. He now called on the disgruntled German army veterans to help him take control. World War I flying ace Hermann Goering, General Erich Ludendorff, and Captain Ernst Rahm are just a few of the veterans who joined Hitler's cause. Now bear in mind, folks, at this point, Hitler is just leading a political party. He does not have control of the country yet. Now, bottom line is, is you can see, again, he has called upon the military. And the military backing him, we know where this story goes. Now, there's a lot of other examples of this scenario throughout history. Napoleon used the French military to overthrow the government of France and take control. Francisco Franco, a former general in the Spanish army, used the military to take control of Spain. The list goes on and on, folks. So let's get back to our original point of this history lesson. If the military loses faith in the government, what could be the consequences? Even our forefathers saw this threat. The very first act of Congress, following the American Revolution, was to disband the Continental Army. Twenty-three of the forty men who signed the Constitution had served in uniform during the Revolutionary War, but they feared the military. Now, while the war had helped focus the attention of all the delegates on areas of mutual concern, the separate shared experiences of those who had served under arms undoubtedly acted as a catalyst in moving the majority towards final compromise and action on national problems. These 23 signers had volunteered to fight for independence, had sacrificed and suffered to win the war, and then, with their fellow patriots, had shed their uniforms to resume civilian careers. Many of them would go on to lead the new government established under the Constitution. The founders had a total fear of standing armies. Bear in mind, they had just fought a revolution against their own army, led by the king. This fear led them to provide Congress with specific power to determine the size and composition of the armed forces, making rules to govern those forces, mobilize and oversee the federal use of the militia, control the size and distribution of the military's budget, and most importantly, to declare war. Only Congress can declare war. Now, these congressional powers and the designation of the president as commander-in-chief of the armed forces were designed to ensure civilian control of the military with ultimate direction, oversight, and decision-making authority over the military in the hands of properly elected and appointed civilian officials. Now, folks, let's get this straight. I am not saying we should fear our military. Each and every one of them, both past and present, are heroes, and they are the reason we have our freedom today. And no, I'm not saying they will lead us to a life under a Stalin, Hitler, Napoleon, or Franco. What I'm saying is that history shows us that if they lose faith in their leadership, they can and do have the power to overthrow the government of the United States. What they want is for us to do our jobs and call out a corrupt government that is incapable of leading them. The ball is in our court, and using the tools our founding fathers gave us, the military is counting on you and me, we the people, to take action to fix the problem. If we don't, history has shown what can happen. Well, folks, that's all the time we have for this segment. Thanks for listening to True History with Professor Jim Paisley. 
See you next time. 